Hello and welcome back to the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast, hosted by me, the Lady Gardener. Get ready to hear from your favourite Instagram gardeners, allotmenteers, flower farmers and plant gurus on this season of the podcast. We'll be hearing people's stories of how they discovered the joy of gardening, learning about their growing spaces and of course hearing about their biggest achievements and fabulous garden fails, because we all have them. I hope you love listening to us chat about the things we've done in the name of plants just as much as we enjoy recording. And if you do, it would really mean the world to me if you could leave us a review because it really helps to get the word out to more planty people and share these amazing stories. This season is sponsored by Akai Outdoor Wear, which if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that barely a day goes by that I'm not dressed head to toe in their clothing, which is really made to last. I live in their thermal outdoor skinny trousers during the winter, which are bramble proof, waterproof and wipeable, perfect for days at the farm or the allotment. I've certainly put them through their paces and have been so impressed with the comfortable fit and durability of each and every item. And I have quite the collection now. So if you're keen to add some Akai pieces to your wardrobe, they've kindly offered podcast listeners an exclusive discount. So head over to the website and use code DOALG20 for 20% off your orders over £50. This offer ends on the 31st of May 2023. Recording this episode was an extra special treat because it meant that I got the chance to tick off another location on my 30 before 30 list, which includes visiting all eight of the fabulous The Pig Hotels. Whilst visiting The Pig near Bath, I had the pleasure of speaking with the group's head kitchen gardener, Ollie Hudson, who I'd met previously at Hampton Hall Palace and has the most incredible job. On a mission to escape the family business, Ollie's career path took him down the horticultural route, only to be pulled back in when his parents informed him of their latest projects with kitchen gardens at the heart of each and every one. The Pig Hotels are beautiful boutique hotels, each with their own unique kitchen gardens that champion the connection between the kitchen and the garden. They're my absolute favourite places to visit, be it for lunch, one of their events or to stay the night, where every detail has been considered and you're fully immersed in the experience. I was incredibly grateful, not only to have a tour from Ollie himself, but to also get the chance to chat to the man who brought these inspirational garden spaces to life with his team. I really loved recording this one, so I hope you're going to enjoy it. Hi Ollie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hi. Thank you for taking the time, very exciting to be at Another Pig this this afternoon. Good. Yeah, so picking it bath today, so obviously you've been to Coombe before, but yeah, just rested a little to try it at some point. <laughs> um, at my absolute favourite hotels, the first time I ever went was like a birthday trip, and I had no idea that there were hotels like this in the UK, and I was just so blown away by the kitchen gardens and the 25-mile menu, and we've just got so much to so much to cover today. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I suppose yeah, 12 years of history of doing, doing this, and... Um, you know, I think when we first started, there weren't a huge amount of uh, kitchen, garden, restaurants, and hotels. But um, yeah, it's been a real amazing journey to be part of. Absolutely. So <clears throat> before we get into the story of the pig itself, I'd love to hear kind of your background. Where did your journey begin of kind of growing an interest in gardening and horticulture? Okay, so um, it's the absolute cliche of uh, growing with my granddad in his allotment <laughs> when I was a kid. So um, yeah, so helping him out and um, you know putting carrots out of soil, I think, and eating them sort of covered in manure or what have you. Um, then um, I suppose as a teenager, I lost that a little bit as we sort of moved into the city, um, away from the New Forest, um, and. Um, 
in an attempt to get away from the family business of hospitality, I went to agricultural college, studied countryside management, um, uh, which went really well for a few years, working in sort of rivers and woodlands and vineyards. But when um, uh, when the old man decided to you know start the sort of pig and go down that sort of route, I. Um, I obviously got roped in, and my skill set was relevant, and uh, yeah, got dragged back into the into the family industry at that point. Um, but now I've, um, I've always been a keen veg grower since uh, since my sort of early twenties, I suppose. I love how it was that real trying to get away from something, and then you come full circle, and it becomes the absolute epitome of your life going yeah. forward. Yeah, there's a certain irony to it. No, it's been yeah, you know, as I said, it's been a great journey ever since, and I've. I've um, had opportunities and learned things and met people I wouldn't have ever had an opportunity to um, to do otherwise. So you know, absolutely grateful to you know the whole company really. Yeah, absolutely. So again, before we start talking about the pig itself, tell me about your personal growing spaces. Is it something that you find because it is your life at work, you don't enjoy growing as much at home, or are you still a big grower at home? Yeah, definitely. We're, we're big growers at home. It's, it's important for the, you know, for our kids as well to, to educate them and you know develop a, a love of growing for them and an understanding of where the food comes from. Um, as as we spoke about um, earlier, you know, my, my wife's a beekeeper, so we've got uh, we've got a few hives at, at um, well, there's a lady at the end of uh, end of our road, a big garden, <laughs> so she lets us keep some hives in her garden. Um, we've got an allotment right opposite the house, which you know we spend most weekends down there. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, it's just lovely. And it's, again, it's mainly for educating the kids, but also you know, it's, it's just you know, to eat homegrown produce and varieties. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to you know to buy in the supermarkets. Um, you know, variety selection is an important thing of, of what we do. And then in our in our own garden, I suppose we we try and keep our plants as edible or medicinal as possible. Um, yeah, I like the challenge of plants with a purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm not um, massively motivated by uh, you know things that you're going to grow to look pretty and then just chuck in a compost heap <laughs> at the end of the year. Um, so yeah, that's my my sort of home life growing, I suppose. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, do your kids really get into it? Do they love it as much as you do, or would you say that they kind of flip between? <laughs> yeah, no, they do love it. They love coming down the allotment. Um, you know, overwatering everything. Obviously, they yeah. love making a mud bath. Um, you know, my son will happily pull a beetroot or a carrot straight out of the manure, as I said about myself earlier. Um, yeah, and just munch away at it, which is yeah, really good. And you know, have great sort of gut health <laughs> yeah. going forwards. I would have thought. Um, and my daughter's got a little fairy garden she's made on the allotment as well. It's um, no, it's, re- it's really lovely. It's just a lovely outdoor space for them to enjoy as well. Um, there's a primary school my daughter goes to just just next to it as well and um, a lot of the other families from the school have allotments there mm-hmm. so at the weekends it's really lovely just you know lots and lots of uh, the kids playing together mm-hmm. and you know the grown-ups um, yeah just doing some craft sounds like some real like community spirit yeah. and <laughs> we talk about the kids gardening an awful lot because I've got my nephews who are four who are our mini gardeners and we run a lot of kids gardening programs but I just think it's amazing that we've almost come back to where as younger children a lot of people did that with their grandparents and things now parents are doing it with their children and we're kind of introducing kids to growing a lot earlier and really get letting them to properly explore so like when we do our mini gardeners club their favorite activity is always like moving mud watering things all the jobs where actually at my allotment i think oh, i've got 
10 tonnes of compost moving for all these plants to water but for them that's their absolute favourite thing and they're just so enthused by getting stuck in and really I guess being able to do a kind of adult job without being babied because you can let them kind of have a bit of free reign and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but if it does and they're harvesting their own crops out the ground and being able to munch fresh it's just the most amazing thing to watch and kind of experience I think it makes you see the garden in a whole new way when they're so amazed at everything that they're seeing as well yeah no, I totally agree and it's um I think it's just the joy of the joy of kids really getting to you know sort of re-look um, re at things from your, your own childhood through, through their lens is yeah, it's just really lovely and yeah I think maybe as you say um in the past, maybe allotment thing was you know lots of retirees sort of thing, um, and you know a little bit of a closed shop to some of the some of the younger growers. I think they were scared. Oh yeah, some some youngsters going to come and take my job, take my yeah. allotment. Um, but now um, uh, I think uh, our our kind of demographic is um, a lot more involved, and uh, you know understands the importance of food miles. Um, and, and as I said, you know I'm I'm interested in the varieties and the you know the subtle differences between you know. X beetroot from Y beetroot, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now let's come on to the story of the pig itself. Yeah. Um, again, can we go right from the beginning of kind of where the concept grew from and your first kind of kitchen garden project? Cool. Um, so yeah, I started um, at our first pig in Brockenhurst in the New Forest back in uh, 1st of February 2011. That was uh, <laughs> the day I started. And that was, Pretty much just like a garden labourer and you know helping to rip out our wardrobes from the, the old hotel when we were beginning the project. In fact, myself and James Golding, who's now the group chef director, we were we were the labourers, uh, you know, <laughs> ripping these wardrobes out and you know playing rock stars, chucking TVs out windows and everything. Um, um, we we built Brockenhurst um, on a you know on a shoestring. We, we we didn't really know what what the company was going to do from there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the concept of the kitchen garden was always there. Uh, we had a great kitchen gardener, Mike Klein, who was um, who was sort of overseeing the project and sort of mentoring me. Uh, and and uh, when he, when he left, I had another a local organic farmer who was helping sort of mentor mm -hmm. the kitchen garden team and develop the team, grow the team. Um, and we. Um, uh, we, we, we grew from there really, you know, we grew the relationship with the kitchen and the chefs, how, how we were going to work together, so, yeah. you know, at first it was, you know, a bit disjointed, we, we didn't quite know how that dynamic was going to work, mm -hmm. but we soon settled into um, the, uh, the chefs treating us as much as a normal supplier, um, the, uh, uh, rather than taking us for granted as a garden on site, mm -hmm. so we produce an order form every week of you know what's um, what's available and you know the minimum maximum amounts that they need to be taking, um, and the chefs they fill that out every evening at the end of service in the same way they would if they were phoning their own suppliers, mm -hmm. and then um, we come in you know in theory before them every morning, get get this list, go and harvest it, and it's all waiting for them by the time they get in at kind of you know nine o'clock. Yeah. Um, so that, that concept obviously worked quite well um, and uh, you know, pr proved a hit with people. Um, so a couple of years later we expanded, um, we opened two new hotels in 2014. Uh, that was the Pigney uh, Bath where we are now mm -hmm. and the Pig on the Beach down in Studland in Dorset. Um, so I moved up to the Pigney Bath and um, restored the garden up here, um, which was, you know, a, a fantastic garden in the 70s and 80s. It was kind of renowned as one of the 
better country house hotel gardens in, in the country, but had, you know, uh, had suffered from a bit of lack of investment and had fallen, um, uh, fallen by the wayside slightly um, over the years. So there was lots of work to be done to, to restore it. Spent four months weeding bindweed at the beginning of it, <laughs> really, really develop an appreciation for the soil um, uh, that you're going to be working with by doing that. Literally, my blood, sweat and tears are in that soil. Um, <laughs> A piece of you yeah. will forever be yeah, with Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. um, and um, uh, the pig on the beach opened a couple of months later, and Jo, who's now my wife, and um, also a group apiarist now, um, she uh, she was the head gardener down there at, at, at the opening. Um, when did we open next? Um, the pig at Coombe came next, that was uh, 2016 that opened, so a couple of years afterwards, and that was obviously your neck of the woods down there at Honiton. Um, and I think you've been there probably the most, you said. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's my favourite. I say it's my favourite, it's just my favourite place in the local area because it's just, I think the whole ethos of the Pig Hotels as a group just really buys into my values personally. And you, you go there and it's such an immersive experience. It's not, you're just going to a hotel where they've bought in produce. You can see the produce growing and then you can see how it's been transformed into a menu and onto your dinner table. And yeah, just incredible. Nice. It's all down to that interaction between the chefs and the gardeners, and mm -hmm. we're so lucky with the, the chefs we've got across the group. You know, they're, they're all so kind of fascinated and engaged, at, you know, trying to um, uh, uh, make the best out of, of their thing, you know, even using bits of the plant which would be less traditional to use. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I always cite the, the Cavalier Neuros when they start to bolt, you know, all the old boys down the allotment, they'd be saying, I'll oh, chuck them on the compost. Yeah. I just nip the tops out and, uh, you know, remove that apical dominance, let them all shoot up. And that Cavalier Nero is much better than any sprout and broccoli I've ever had, those Cavalier Nero shoots. Oh, that's a um, top tip. But yeah, no, I love that. Um, uh, I suppose going back to the, um, uh, the, the history of the company, um, so after Coombe we then opened um, the Pig at Bridge Place in Kent, um, which is a really lovely garden, that was a complete new build, um, so carte blanche on the design there, and I really, I really love the, uh, the garden design um, at uh, the Pig at Bridge Place. We also, uh, then we did the Pig at Harland Bay in Cornwall, um, which opened in 2020, summer 2020, so obviously it was delayed a little bit. <laughs> Uh, but that was, I mean, an interesting project to say the least with, with everything that, that went on then. The time um, which will not be made. Exactly, <laughs> like, and then uh, we went on to open the Pig in the South Downs uh, in 2021 in September, which again has been lovely. It's got a vineyard down there, and um, uh, Alex, the head gardener there, is one of the most experienced um, kitchen gardeners in the group, and Camille, the head chef, is probably you know the the most sort of inventive chef we've got you know mm -hmm. you can throw anything at him and he will create something amazing out of it and so are the chefs quite involved in kind of when you get together to do your planning which we'll talk about in more detail in a minute but do you do the planning together with the chefs so you're kind of working out obviously they don't they might not necessarily know the kind of things that you could grow and the exciting new varieties that we all kind of geek out over is it quite a two-way conversation or do you kind of present to them a series of ideas? I'd love to know how that kind of relationship works in the planning stages of when you're kind of early on stages. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about, you know, constant interaction with the chefs. I mean, 
the, the head gardeners and the head chefs will walk around sort of at least twice a week, year mm -hmm. round, and you know walk around and go and discuss what's coming in and out of those beds. But going back to the original planning of those gardens, the, um, uh, we'll basically meet with the uh, head gardener and the head chef, we'll meet at the end of each growing season, mm -hmm. they'll discuss everything that was grown in that growing season, and um, you don't want to give chefs too much choice, <laughs> so they're only really allowed to say more or less the same or not at all. Oh, okay. So we've got this uh, spreadsheet, they say one of those four answers, uh, we then go and sort of... Um, Manipulate our other sort of spreadsheets to you know you know add more beetroot and less carrots or you know whatever would mm -hmm. be discussed in those meetings, um, and as we then draw the garden plan up, you know we'll, we'll throw some varieties around with them um, afterwards. You know something more informally. Yeah. You know, do you want your beetroot to be sweet? Do you want them to be earthy? Do you want your leeks to be baby leeks or great big leeks? Mm -hmm. You know, sort of every chef's got a slightly different style, and um, I suppose every every year they, they they want their menus to be slightly different as well. Um, so yeah, I mean the short answer is yes, they're both. But it must be amazing to have that two-way relationship and really kind of get to host to hone in on each other's expertise of kind of that garden and kitchen relationship. I just think it's incredible, and you can really see it reflected in the menus as well, like to be as a guest going through the garden and then sitting down at dinner going oh we saw that kale earlier and we saw this earlier and we saw that earlier and you can see the quail's eggs that the quails yeah. produced earlier so we get it as well you know on a say, busy sunday lunch you might have i don't know 70 percent of the lunch guests that are coming out afterwards especially on a sunny day and mm -hmm. um, to look around the gardens and you know be like Oh, look, yeah there's the there's the chart i had for lunch you know and they can see it's harvested you know i've got quite a brutal harvesting technique. Mm -hmm. I like to do a sort of hard sort of cut and come again, like from, uh, rather than disguising that we're doing it, so mm -hmm. we only see good plants. I do it from the path the guests will be walking along, so they can really see that succession of harvesting and regrowth um, to really demonstrate to them that, you know, there's no BS, as yeah. you know, that, that child has genuinely been harvested that morning, you know. And again, I think that sells into the immersive experience of you're not just coming to a hotel, with a kitchen garden you can kind of you learn so much while you're here and the garden tours we went on a garden tour at um party at the pig last year and it was so fascinating to kind of learn about all of the different techniques that you guys are using and get that insider knowledge of whether you're a grower or not it's fascinating to learn more about what is going on with the food that you've just eaten yeah I was, yeah the company gave us a, a, a real sort of um, big scope um, to experiment, both in the gardens and the kitchens. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're, we're so lucky to work for a company that's willing to, you know, invest in that, in that kind of, um, I suppose it's R&D, so research and development to, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to talk a bit about, I'd love to talk a bit about the 25 mile menu, because that was, I think when I talk to people about the pig, because I talk about it pretty much every day of the week at the moment, it's always that 25 mile menu that you can really capture people's attention with and I think it's such a fantastic ethos. If you could explain a bit more about what that is and what that means. Yeah, so the 25 mile menu is one of the original concepts of the pig and it's, um, it, was, it was a brainchild of James, our group chef director. Um, he um, basically wants to challenge himself to source kind of 90% of the ingredients within a 25 mile radius mm -hmm. of the hotel. Obviously, it's difficult to do 100%. You know, you, 
I don't think we found a, I don't know, a coffee producer or a vanilla producer in Hampshire or Devon <laughs> yet. But um, I mean, if anyone out there wants to try and do it, try and flog us some Devon vanilla, that'd be cool. That's um, my next project. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, yeah, it was, it was really just a challenge that, that James had set up. And anything we can't source of in that radius, we try to get stuff of interesting stories. Uh, for instance, we've got. Um, I believe our sugar is shipped to us um, by sale, mm -hmm. so you know there's a we, we don't need sort of motor. I mean, obviously going in and out harbors, they have to use motors, but you know, uh, you know, sort of renewable uh, energy to, to transport it halfway around the world to us. Um, but yeah, anything with a lovely story, um, and what we can grow in our own grounds, you know, that's zero miles. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's a bonus. I think it almost balances out, doesn't it? The ones where you really can't source it anywhere locally to the zero miles. You yeah. find somewhere in between and that's a kind of sweet spot for for what you can achieve with what you've got in the local area until Shannon's Vanilla Farm is set. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we're lucky being in quite rural spaces as well. Um, so there's a lot of growers, you know, farms of different scales. Mm -hmm. A lot of the smaller, more community farms, um, you know, they're, they're really keen to, to work versus, you know, even to the extent that you know, as gardeners, we could discuss the varieties we're growing, and they'll grow similar varieties to us. Mm -hmm. So they can obviously we're not self-sufficient from our gardens, um, such a finite space. But um, they they can supplement what we can grow with exactly the same products grown in the local area, and it's um, it's just that sort of. Um, uh, symbiosis I suppose between uh, between some local growers yeah, yeah and support local businesses as well yeah. I think it's just a fantastic overall concept I have to ask and this might be a really tricky question but do you have a favourite of the kitchen gardens one that really kind of piece of your heart is rooted just pieces of heart in all of them really um, I sort of I've got favourites for different reasons, mm -hmm. um, but probably not an out-and-out -out favourite. Obviously, I, I do get asked uh, you know, uh, a fair, fair amount. I think Brockenhurst, you know, is the place I first sort of cut my teeth. I was first a sort of head gardener there, so, yeah. you know, it's a great sort of learning space for me. And, you know, I, I poured an awful lot of my heart into that garden. Um, the garden here at Bath, um, obviously, it was my first sort of design project. So, um, you know, there was an added excitement for doing that. Um, Coombe was the first one I, I oversaw as a sort of group head gardener. Um, uh, so uh, more as a project manager and designer on that one. Um, I, I, I do love the design of the one at Bridge Place. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a special hotel for me because it's um, uh, a bridge, the village bridge where it is, is where my mum grew up. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's got a nice sort of family story associated there. Um, and I just the kind of vistas down the garden there are really nice. Um, you know, you've got a lovely sort of Alatex greenhouse flanked by um, uh, like the wood oven and the outdoor dining spaces. Um, you know, there's a there's a nice sort of symmetry to it. Um, um, Harlan, I suppose. Um, you know, we've always had family holidays in that area. So yeah, different different reasons for, for just love them different all. Hotels. Yeah, no, I love them all. But I think they're all so diverse in their own way as well because yeah. you've got, I mean, obviously I've only visited two, but you can see that they're really adapted to their local areas and the kind of local environments and the, the buildings that were existing and where you've expanded on that. I think it's amazing to see. It must be amazing from your experience to be able to kind of keep the concept the same, but be able to change it up each time and do something slightly different. And I guess improve your ways of working so that you know that your compost heap's in the most efficient place and 
the kind of gardens work in the way that you work? That's right. Um, I mean, I think um, we've certainly got a style. Um, I, I suppose if I, if I blindfolded you and left you in the middle of one of our kitchen gardens, when you take that, um, that blindfold off, I want you to instantly, that's like a no, you're in a pink kitchen garden, mm -hmm. not just any old kitchen garden. Yeah. Um, so um, I think our, our growing style is maybe some, some more continental than um, uh, some more traditional sort of English kitchen gardens, you know, the West Indies or Hellebins of the world, um, which, you know, they're amazing to visit. But we um, we tend to plant in big blocks as opposed to long straight lines. We um, uh, we sort of have sort of 50 inch wide beds we manage. People sometimes, you know, sort of say, well, why, why 50? And really it's just, you know, how far you can straddle the harvest <laughs> without, um, without completely sort of stacking it. Uh, <laughs> Because you'll be working in that position quite yeah. a lot, um, and um, yeah, I think that's 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 garden style there. Definitely, and I think even the, the kind of existing buildings that you've revamped and renovated into these amazing spaces, they all still kind of have that real authentic rustic feel about them. That you can see when the newer ones have been put in, they really still fit with the original style. Nothing looks out of place. It looks like it's been that way forever. And it's just incredible to see, really. Yeah, it's a lot of attention to detail that goes into all aspects of mm. the, the pig design, you know, whether it be the garden, you know, the, the restaurant, the interiors, the, the, the menus. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of attention to detail. But you know, I have a remit to myself, I suppose, when, I'm, when I see these spaces, and especially with the restorations of the gardens, mm -hmm. um, where there's an existing kitchen garden. I just want to kind of do justice to the to the gardeners who were there before, mm -hmm. and leave it in a good state for the you know gardeners who are to come afterwards. Um, you're only a custodian of any space for a short period of time, and it's just about being responsible to that space that you leave it in as good as or better state as you found it. Absolutely, and I think that that's such an important ethos to have. Again, it's something we talk about a lot with our mini gardeners projects. It's we want it to be a sustainable space and we're not doing things that are just benefiting us in the now. It's kind of, how is this project going to evolve? And when we leave, how is someone else looking after it? Is there someone who has all the knowledge that they need to look after that space and things like that? So it's amazing to see the kind of progression of, you've thought about the past, the present and the future as an evolution, as opposed to a, what can we do to make money right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you mentioned the kind of family aspect. And I'd love to dive a bit deeper into that especially with the 500 mile book. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so the second book we produced as a, as, as a group. Um, so the, the original pig book we produced, I think it was in 2019 now, we get told off uh, back in the office <laughs> for getting that wrong. But, um, and that was more an overview of the company, you know, what we do, a lot of, um, you know, information on the kitchen gardens, lots of recipes, lots about the interiors, all the festivals we do, and to the whole concept of everything that, that makes up, you know, the pig and, and the pig family. Um, so, but 500 Miles we released um, last year in 2022, and it's much more of a focus on the people who make us the pig. A lot of the sort of small producers, you know, in the local areas, mm -hmm. and people we've worked with from day one, and, you know, really they, they make up the fabric, even though they're not, not there every day. But, you know, so it's, um, the family aspect of it um, is yeah, particularly so close to me, because obviously my, my parents are involved in the company, my wife is a group apiarist, my kids are in the book, there's, uh, there's pictures of them sort of, well, as I said earlier, pulling beetroots out of the ground and um, 
eating them. I think my son picking tomatoes in the polytunnel, <laughs> and my, my daughter playing with uh, the uh, the bees sort of smoker tool, mm-hmm. um, which is really really lovely shots. And, and my brother did um, all of the illustrations in the book as well. He's, he's a sort of illustrator and tattooist, mm-hmm. so um, it's a really great sort of well-humoured uh, illustrations. <laughs> if you if you take the time to go and look at them all, uh, there's lots of little visual gags in there. I think that's brilliant, and it's when you walk into the pig hotel, whether you know the story or not, I think you really get that family feel from the gardens through the hotel, and even the way the staff will interact with you and with each other, it really feels like you're being kind of welcomed home. Um, the pig book was the first book I had, and I bought it after I'd stayed, because I had such amazing stay, I was like, I need to take a little memento home. And actually the sausage roll recipe has become a firm family favourite. We make it whenever we go like on a picnic or anything, that sausage roll is always coming with us. Yeah, it's um, it is fantastic <laughs> yeah. and we make like different chutneys to put in the middle um each time like last autumn we had like a spiced pear chutney and that in the middle of the sausage roll was just absolutely fantastic <laughs> so i definitely need to get in and read the, the next edition with the 500 miles it sounds brilliant yeah definitely i'll show you a copy of it when we're uh, by reception later on yeah absolutely so moving on I would love to hear a bit more about kind of where you get your personal inspiration from. Are there particular gardeners or gardens that you've seen in the past where you think that that is really something I'm drawing a lot of kind of inspiration from? Um, well, obviously my granddad. Got a name job him. He's no longer around, so like, yeah, give him the, the credit there. Um, who really inspired me? Um, uh, so I should, I should give some credit to, to Mike and Ian, the, the two mentors I had as I was, um, as I was sort of Find on my feet, um, and books by you know, Mark Diacono, James Wong, particularly you know books focused around unusual varieties, unusual flavours, how to manipulate your plants. Um, I enjoy those, and um, uh, there was also a garden writer I particularly liked called Ken Thompson, who um, I, I like his sort of he's, he's got a nice sort of old fashioned sort of cynical view of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I used to commute on the train, uh, it appealed to my sort of being a grumpy old man. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, and I suppose the person I haven't said there as well is Jack Mabeka, who, um, you know, her her bible is you know just it's just one of the best books ever. Like, um, so um, you know, I love every every chance I've had to, to meet Jacka and just you know just absorb information from her is um, you know has been. Yeah, really special to me as well. Mm-hmm. Well, they say never meet your idols, but sometimes oh, no. <laughs> I really think that that is just not the case because there's so many people that I've met in the past kind of 12 months where you're just so inspired. But I think people in the gardening community have a real kind of, although there are a section of people that don't want to share, but that real kind of like community spirit and they, they just want you to do the best that you can do. And so they're really happy to offer advice and seeds and share their knowledge and kind of work out where you're struggling and see where they can help you out. So... Great to hear that you've had that experience as well. I think yeah, gardeners are a, yeah a different bunch, and yeah, sort of even um, even people have sort of thought like, oh, they seem like really intimidating, really scary, and meet them, and they're the absolute loveliest people in the world. Yeah. Um, no, I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a bad experience meeting a meeting a gardening hero, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> Me neither, yeah. but I I still live with the fear that one day it will happen. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just think it's so lovely to kind of I think especially in this day and age, obviously the post-lockdown gardening boom has brought a lot of new people into gardening and it's not that people aren't saying, oh, when are you retiring if you're into gardening? I feel like it's becoming a lot more mainstream and it's nice to see that everyone's so welcoming and it it just feels like there's not 
as much competition as there is in a lot of other industries where you're all working together to kind of push a message of why we need to look after our soil better and why it's so important for us to grow our own and understand where our produce comes from and things like that rather than it being kind of uh well I don't want you to be selling the same thing that I'm selling so I'm not going to tell you anything about what I'm doing because I want you to fail that kind of there's it just doesn't seem to be that kind of aggressive competition it's very much a wholesome community yeah I feel really strongly that you know we're 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 only where we are with gardening because people have passed on that information. Mm -hmm. Even from before written records, you know, people were passing things on verbally from, you know, father to son, etc. You know, from prehistory. Yeah. And you know, it's, it was really um, uh, draws your attention to you know the amount of skill that was lost during the wars. Um, I mean, Helibin is a, is a great example there, isn't yeah. it? You know, the, the skill that the the gardeners there, you know, at the turn of the century had, you know, is even now, I mean, they've got some great gardeners now, but I think they'd be the first to admit, you know, it's, it's a tough ask to, to match that skill that they that their predecessors had there. Yeah, um, I mean, so aptly names the Lost Gardens of Heligan. Yeah. You, you don't quite realise quite how much was lost no. in that kind of time when it was laid to waste, I guess. But yeah. an incredible place to visit. Yeah. Um, do you have any other particular gardens around the UK that, or, or abroad that really stick in your mind as being just incredible spaces so kitchen garden wise i think yeah the um, lost gardens of heligan and um, and west dean are probably my two favorites in, in the uk um, i think they're both just amazing mm -hmm. amazing spaces um so i mean heligan the whole site not just the kitchen garden um uh, uh, i love the, the greenhouses and I, I, just, I love the project the, the concept and the history of the project as well I'm a bit of a archaeology nerd as well <laughs> so you know it sort of it, it sort of scratches that itch for me as well and uh, West Dean I mean the examples of espaliers they have there are fantastic um, really really amazing um, um, sort of traditional shaped espaliers that you know I, I don't know if I've seen another collection of um, you know unusual uh, pruning techniques um, mm -hmm. uh, as many as I've seen there and it's amazing as well to go and see these spaces and although sometimes you can't take things away and do them yourselves it's that real awe, moment of awe where you're like wow yeah. that is enviable <laughs> we, we try and do a few sort of interesting things i mean uh, we've inherited a few sort of old espaliered orchards um, across the group and you know restoring them have been fantastic sort mm -hmm. of uh, multi-year projects to, to get them back into back into a good shape um, really exciting project we've done down at um, uh, Pickup Bridge Place. Um, so Fran, the, the head gardener down there, he's a Spanish chap, and he's, you know, he's he's always looking to you know push himself and mm -hmm. uh, do something exciting. So we came up with this concept where we bought these these really lovely sort of um, five tier espaliers. Mm -hmm. I think we bought fifteen of them and put them all all against this wall. And what we've done every year is we've snipped off one tier of those espaliers and replaced it with um, um, uh, uh, scions from different flowers, uh, pollination groups. Um, so, for instance, the bottom tier of all these espaliers will be pollination group one, and then you know, etc., etc. As you as you go up the, the tree. Um, so, in theory, in the future, we'll have one great row of, um, of blossoms uh, on, the, on the bottom rung, then the next, the next month or, you know, a few weeks later it'll be on the second rung up, etc, etc. Um, and 
consequently, we've got something like 45 varieties of apples from just um, whatever it is. It's a 50-meter bit of wall or something mm. like that. So it's really, really kind of exciting. That's awesome. I've never explained it in a really uh, dodgy way. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes complete sense yeah. to me. And one of those things where I would have never thought to have done anything like that, but makes total sense. Just playing with the grafting, really. I mean, neither of us were experienced grafters. We've messed around with it a little bit, but mm -hmm. you know, we wanted a challenge and a project, and you know. A good project that's sort of multi-year is always is always fun. So yeah, we went, yeah. went down that route. Teaches you the biggest lesson of patience ever, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think because you have to really wait to understand how these things work and work out where you're going wrong. Um, one of the things I was really interested to know was what your plant nemesis is, because I feel like having seen your show garden at Hampton Court Palace, which we'll talk about in a second. Everything was just so perfect, so pristine, in the perfect condition for the show. And I can't imagine you have a nemesis, but you must have something. <laughs> nemesis is, uh, nemesis. Um, maybe dill. I've always, struggled, um, I've always struggled to really sort of get a decent dill plant to stay so compact and not just, not just bolt. Mm -hmm. um, quite like a lot of the weeds really you know there's a lot of them are edible so you know you can harvest them as a bit of garnish and, yeah. and give it to the chefs if you kind of know which ones to uh, to go for um so yeah a lot of the weeds aren't really uh aren't really nemesis of, of mine um garlic uh, i've often struggled to really get a sort of bulb i'm proud of with, mm -hmm. a, with a with a garlic um but no, well, maybe there's something I can pass on here. I've got some fantastic elephant garlic bulbs, which I've always struggled with garlic until I grew this one elephant garlic from my neighbour. And now I'm in my second year of growing these bulbs and they're just, they're the only ones I don't have trouble with. So, um, yeah, we, we grow a few elephant garlics actually. I've got my, my, my fact for elephant <laughs> garlic, yeah, my sort of stock fact, I suppose, is it's not really a garlic, it's a leek. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's just, I um, uh, never quite understood that, but um, yeah, because it's so garlicky. But mm -hmm. uh, no, it's, um, that's my fun fact for elephant garlic. I actually didn't know that, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. But it makes a lot of sense. Um, everyone always, I always see these videos going around on Facebook of people who are garlic lovers who say when it says one garlic clove and then they use an elephant garlic <laughs> clove, but ultimately, taste wise, one little clove and one of the big elephant yeah. garlic cloves are kind of similar. They're quite mild. <laughs> yeah. Elephant garlic, so. um, but it's one of these things where I always think you don't you don't know that that is more garlicky than the other one, do you? It's just. I'm, I'm hoping to visit the garlic farm in the Isle of Wight this year, actually. So yeah, um, I, I say some every year when I go over there, and you know I only live just the other side of the island, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, I never quite get over there. It's always the busy period of the year when uh, when it's the most impressive over there. Yeah, it looks insane there though. It's one of those like must visit places for yeah, definitely. Um, so moving on to Hampton Court Palace, you've been at Hampton Court Palace for many years. So tell me about kind of your experience with the show. It was actually where we first met last year when I had my show garden and you were we were like almost neighbours and I saw your crops and was like mum. Mum, look at their crops versus mine. I was like, you can tell mine have been growing on an allotment with no protection. Yeah, I know. We, we cheated here. We've got we've got thirty members of staff and we've got our own nursery and bits like that. So we um, uh, yeah we stole the march maybe, but uh, no, I think everyone's allotments looked looked amazing really, um, and it was yeah, it was really great to, to meet some other sort of growers like yourself. Um, the 
there was just different, totally different concepts of how people had sort of interpreted the brief. Mm -hmm. And then the people who actually won it, they had sort of um, uh, won the area of their, their kind of wool uh, vegetables, were just so cool. I, they were auctioning them off at the end. I went and yeah. bought loads of them. Same. Far, far too many. Like, it was almost embarrassing the amount I went home with. Uh, my kids still play with them. They're, they're, they're really great. Um, but um, our, our journey of Hampton Court, I suppose, we our first one we did was about uh, 10 years ago now, in 2013. That was back when the... Um, uh, the growth and taste marquee was there, I think they used to call it, which was a big sort of veg marquee. It all used to be enclosed, the, the um, productive growing areas. Uh, now it's a great six by six metre showground, which is to, 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 to this day is still the biggest one that we've done. Uh, so I'm still very proud of that. I've, I've emailed you some photos of it. Yes, please. Um, and uh, yeah, we've just tried to do little things every, every year, whether we've been working with colleagues of ours, such as Alitex, um, whether we've just been going up and doing demos, you know, mm -hmm. myself with, with chefs or barmen from, from the group, um, talking about, you know, how, how they use um, the, the varieties that we grow and, you know, how, how, we, how we interact with one another. Um, and uh, yeah, last year we did we did a little allotment garden, which was great, tiny little one, not, not as big as your one actually, <laughs> so you, you, you did twice the size of ours. Um, I wish yeah. I'd done half the size, I think I should have started off smaller and then <laughs> evolved. But. Um, and then we're doing another one this year, I think, so um, uh, I think we're going to probably do a three by six metre one this year, mm -hmm. uh, inspired by you know, your, your bigger ones. Thank so, you. Um, <laughs> And uh, we've just been chatting this week about a few sort of concepts we're, we're thinking of having for it. So, I mean, there's a, there's a few ideas floating around. I always try and bring an interpretation of the hotels into, into what, we, what we do, mm -hmm. because the, um, the interaction between the kitchen, uh, so the kitchen garden and the restaurant is so important with the pigs. Um, we really try and put an emphasis on that in the design. So we'd have uh, often a small sort of um, patio space with, with a sort of laid table and an interpretation of our restaurant in the middle of the garden. Um, we'd have a big old mismatched potage um, of, um, of plants, just sort of like, I mean, I suppose I, my remit is I, I don't I don't want to see any compost. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, it'd be overflowing with, with vegetation. Um, so yeah, how are we going to do it this year? Um, uh, we might try and have some inspiration from each of our properties. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say this, and it'll probably be completely different from, uh, come <laughs> July. So yeah, watch this space. But um, so maybe we'd have sort of an area which is uh, representing the pig on the beach and the pig at Highland Bay, and maybe we'd have more uh, sea veg. So maybe sea beet, um, the agretis and samphires oyster plants and sea kale. I think um, that's really great as well because so many people don't know about that, that kind of yeah. category of crops. Um, like we tried the sea kale in the garden yeah. and it's just something I've never I've never heard of before and sounds like a really exciting kind of new thing to try, perennial veg, very exciting. It's a funky plant the sea kale, I think you'll, um, you, you'll notice it now when you, you walk along the beach and you'll see these sort of piles of, of, sort of shingle that people piled up and little purple leaves to get a top, you'll know that there's a, there's a treat inside there that someone's prepared for themselves. So. <laughs> it's going to be my new fun fact but, every yeah. time we go to the beach. <laughs> you know, obviously I wouldn't um, encourage anyone to sort of harvest wild plants, um, or no, sort of take, wild, take plants from the wild, mm -hmm. but you can get, um, there's a cultivated variety of sea cow called lily white, mm -hmm. which you can get the seeds from, um, 
and uh, yeah, you can grow it from seed, but it also grows quite well from, uh, from root cuttings as well. Very exciting. Um, so yeah, sorry, carry on with your garden ideas for oh, Hamilton yeah. Court Palace. So um, yeah, so we're talking about this as a sea uh, plant area to represent a couple of the hotels. And then we could um, we could maybe represent the the, the south southeastern properties with, I mean, maybe maybe more sort of fruit growing sort of um, uh, orchards and vines. Um, there's the forest, you know, pig and the fo pig and Brockenhurst is in the new forest, so there's lots of sort of um, uh, uh, forest growing. We could we could take inspiration from there as well. But it's, yeah, it's early days. We've um, we started a few things off that we know we're going to want to be big and showy by July, so we've yeah. got them growing at our big sort of, um, our big nursery space at, at head office, um, so yeah, got some really early courgettes in, so they'll be hopefully have full-size courgettes and flowers by that point, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got some, we've got some sweet corn started, so, you know, hopefully they could be sort of three foot tall by, by the time the show starts. That um, was the envy of my eye yeah. last year, your sweet corn versus mine, I think yours is about... <laughs> Ten times the height of mine, but they were back to my allotment afterwards. Did so, they? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. obviously we pot grew everything, so uh, yeah, we had some great healthy plants. So uh, yeah, took took them out and put them on the allotment. Proud as punch of these. Instant impact. Yeah. Um, something which I actually forgot to ask you about earlier, which you just reminded me of, was about the kind of you mentioned how you plan with the chefs, but in terms of how you actually plan the garden. This is something that always fascinates me, where, where you've got people who are traditional pen and paper, planning, like sketching things out. You've got the people like me who love an Excel sheet, and I'm pretty sure that I've seen an Excel sheet printed out on a wall in one of the um, places at the Pig at Coombe. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that kind of how the planning works and whether you grow the seed, all, the majority of the seedlings at each garden, or are they grown at that central facility and then kind of... Yeah, so um, I mean, I'm an Excel guy with uh, you know, garden yes. planning. I um, yeah, I like things to be very sort of black and white and um, you know, very formulaic. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a whole, there's probably three Excel spreadsheets that have to link up in order to plan just one of our gardens. <laughs> doesn't make great podcasting but I can show you later some some of the uh, I'll, I'll some, some of our planning files. But um, um, yeah, we basically have a great sheet that represents um, every week in the year and every bed in the garden, um, and then you know what will be in those beds yeah. um, uh, during those during those weeks. Um, the head gardeners will then take this information. They'll take it back to Joe, our nursery manager, back at back at head office, and um, uh, Joe and I will then um, uh, work back on those dates of when they when they need their seedlings, mm -hmm. and um, uh, we'll work out the sowing dates. And you know, prepare everything so so that you know we're sending out the seedlings on the correct days yeah. and correct weeks for, for each of the gardeners. Um, so I'd say a good 85 percent probably of our seedlings are started at, at head office. Uh, the in-house signs that we do are more uh, things would be direct sign, mm -hmm. obviously, um, and sort of larger things that would either take quite a lot of space and time to. Um, to deliver to the hotels, you know, we've only got we've only got a sort of transit-style van. You know, we've, we haven't got a great big lorry. We drive around between the between the properties. Um, so um, yeah, lots of the legumes, cucurbits uh, would be would be sort of in-house sowings, um, and they tend to also tend to be the more delicate plants mm. as well. That, you know, you could potentially damage in in transit if you were. Um, 
if you were trying to you know transport them too much yeah that's completely fair um but so interesting to see how people do it on a kind of larger scale i plan my allotment on excel on a really 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 tiny scale um but i just think it's such a fantastic tool but i feel like the majority of people who use excel have come from a slightly different background to the people who draw by hand i'm super creative but i'm not creative in that way so the excel sheet really speaks to me because my marketing background i've always done everything in excel sheets or excel documents and it just it makes my brain happy <laughs> yeah no, exactly that yeah um, i really struggle you know when i'm submitting a sort of application to hampton court for instance they sort of want a design yeah i mean luckily i know them well enough now that you know they're not expecting anything crazy <laughs> but you know i'll pretty much try and do a sort of 3d picture of a garden so it would be a rubbish attempt at a diamond with like you know just a few plants you can't really tell what they are just sticking up in the middle and you know, then conceptual. Yeah, yeah. They they kind of get what they get what they give afterwards. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the uh, the showrunners, um, you know, think you know, they probably have a good laugh at my designs when they come in. To be honest, <laughs> I've even submitted um, garden designs to our architects in the past on like Microsoft Paint documents. <laughs> just uh, yeah, it's just you know, the simplest thing I could do, and it was, it was better than a you know. A sharpie on the back of a Kit Kat wrapper or something that would, would have been otherwise. So. Um, you should have seen my submissions to the designs for my garden. I was like, they're never going to accept me on the basis that it looks like it's been drawn by a four-year-old. So I had one that was done on Canva, which is basically my paint alternative, which just like things blocked out. And then I had one that was drawn by me in pencil. And I redrew it three times trying to make it look better. And I was like, no, it's still still looks like it's been drawn by a four-year-old and they asked me for a picture to put in the booklet and I was like I haven't sent you one because it's terrible and I don't have a better version and they were like we'll send it to us anyway and we'll see if we include it and then they would flip through the book I was like shock that that four-year-old drawing didn't make it in. Yeah, my, my, my brother and my daughter got the art genes mm. <laughs> it skipped a generation with me I think. As long as it's somewhere in the family that's yeah. what matters. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'd love to hear a bit more about, obviously we're currently, well, we've just just hit spring. Yep, um, I'd like to think so. Spring, I think, is one of those really exciting seasons because it's kind of like, it feels like the start of a new, a time to start again and fresh hopefulness. Having walked around the gardens and seeing everything just a bit further on here than it is in my own allotment was really exciting. But I'd love to hear a bit more about kind of some of the exciting things you've got planned for this year, maybe the next few years. Hampton Court Palace aside, of course. Yeah, so we're constantly trying to you know, improve um, what we do, and every year um, you know, we're, we're working on that. Um, I suppose major projects that we're going to be doing that hopefully this year we'll be starting two new hotel builds. Um, Exciting. Which um, are, as yet, undisclosed areas of the country. <laughs> but um, I mean, there's some big sites, some big grounds to, to deal with. One of them um, will definitely be. Um, uh, out of our comfort zone area of the country, uh, oh, which okay. is interesting, uh, and will be much more rural, sort of farm feeling, farmy sort of um, atmospheres at mm. hotels. So I'm really excited about that one. Something quite different, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, so I've visited that a few times, and um, I'm really, yeah, can't wait to get stuck into that. I've got loads of great ideas um, for, for, for that garden. And then the other one I think will be you know, a bit more traditional. I haven't actually been to the site yet. I'm actually going next Thursday. Um, so I'm really, really excited to see that. And from what I hear, that's a, it's a huge site with an awful mm -hmm. lot going uh, 
for it. So, um, yeah, pretty exciting times for the company there. Uh, just need to um, just need to kind of backfill uh, backfill <laughs> the stuff. And yeah, so any uh, any budding kitchen gardeners out there who want to come work for the pig, try and get in touch. So keep an eye on the website to see if any opportunities coming up. I think that all of the Instagram gardeners, it's like a dream to be a kitchen gardener at the pig. I actually nearly applied for a kitchen gardener job last year and I was like, am I travelling an hour or two to go to work every day? Maybe not, but I'm sure that there'll be so many people that will just be like absolute dream job scenario. Yeah, yeah no, it's, um, I think if, if you're really passionate about it, it's just such a way of life. Um, is you don't even think about it. you don't think about a commute you don't think of anything you don't think yeah. about that, you know having to wake up at the crack of dawn because it's just you just do it for the love and the passion absolutely it's a proper lifestyle job yeah. isn't it it's not the kind of you wake up you go to work you come yeah. home and you don't think about it again it's, you know the people people who join and you know just looking for a job you know they, I think they, they quickly realize that you know it's more than that and you know some of them you know, really embrace it, and mm -hmm. some of them, you know, realise actually it's, it's maybe not for them, you know, and, and they, they just, you know, they, they just want to, you know, gain a bit more experience yeah, other places. Absolutely. And so, obviously, I am a massive fan of the Pig Hotels. I'd 100% recommend visiting. But there are lots of exciting events that happen throughout the year as well. Um, I went to the party at the Pig last year, at the Pig at Coombe, which was awesome. There was, like, fire pits everywhere, and... Um, I think we had like sweet corn and burgers cooked on like a log burner. It was just one of those really incredible, like family friendly, atmospheric days. I think um, Noah did a little treasure hunt and he got a little tub of ice cream at the end. And it was just one of those real days of the year that's stuck in your memory. Also, we're super lucky because the weather was perfect. It was like ideal end of summer weather. Um, but what are some of the other exciting events that are coming up this year that people should kind of look out for tickets for? Well, um... Uh, it's, I mean, it's always fun doing these sort of events just because it, it, it takes you away from the norm. Yeah. Uh, you know, as the gardeners, who, you know, sometimes you get a bit forgotten about out in the garden. They're trying to, you know, whip people covered in mud and, uh, you know, all the, all the front of house staff, they, uh, um, you know, they just sort of don't, don't really see us as part of the team. <laughs> and, you know, we have people to get into the, the canteen first at lunchtime. And <laughs> um, but so it's, it's lovely to, to work with, uh, you know, with the whole um, the whole team across the whole hotel on those events. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's real, a real motivator for me. Um, I suppose the obvious ones that we do every year are the Smokeland Cup festivals. So we're doing a couple of them this year. I believe one at Bridge Place and one at Limewood Hotel. Uh, formerly also his sister hotel in, in the forest. Mm -hmm. um, and in the new forest, like Hampshire Valley, so I just call it the forest. <laughs> um, uh, so there are music festivals, they're, they're quite big, and uh, it's a decent who've we, who've we got this year? Um, I'm not totally sure if the acts have been announced, I won't, I I, won't say it. I think I've seen one, but I don't want to say it and be wrong. <laughs> um, but it's a big name if it is yeah. who I'm thinking of. I nearly bought a ticket to it, and then I couldn't quite work the dates, but... Um... Um, and, uh, yeah, the other events we're doing are the... Um, uh, we're doing some Kitchen Garden Gurus events hosted by uh, Mark Diakona and myself down at the Pig at Combe, and they're just a lot of fun, really. Um, uh, so, obviously, Mark, Mark was a hero of mine, you know, when I was just learning, just reading, it, especially just Tasty Unexpected, was one of, uh, one of my favourite sort of books when I was learning, mm -hmm. and, you know, very inspired by... Um, to go out and source these unusual varieties. And when we opened the Pig at Cove, it was only a mile from Otter Farm, uh, where Mark form formerly was. Um, 
uh, you know, it was just a dream come true to, you know, to get to start working together a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I think we've got one of them coming up in May, which I think there's still tickets for. Um, and it's, it's mainly Mark, you don't have to listen to my sort of uh, rubbish, uh, rubbish waffle, but um, uh, yeah, I just kind of put a piggy spin on, on the information that he's handing out. And then we do some garden tours, and we all sit down for a great big lunch at the end of it, which is yeah, delicious. But I mean, the food massive. here is unreal. <laughs> Every time I've eaten here, it's one of those like just blows you away with. Even if it's things that you wouldn't necessarily think to order in another place, you know that it's just going to be ten out of ten. The piggy crackling, especially. <laughs> um, right, last couple of questions before we wrap up, and you can go and enjoy the garden again. Um, what is your favourite season? It feels like a bit of a cliche question, but every time we get to a new season, I'm like, this is my favourite season, except winter. <laughs> um, again, it's, you know, it's, I have to give you an ambiguous answer. I mean, I love all seasons for, for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, I think the small boy in me, the small child in me, just, you know, just the fascination of propagation, um, you know, that really appeals to me. Mm -hmm. So uh, just watching things germinate, and it, it, Sowing anything, you know, I love um, I love watching garlic come up actually. So um, you know when it when that get those garlics first pop through the soil and you know they look like some neat little rare soldiers. Just you know maybe maybe kind of um, you know beginning in November uh, when everything else is starting to die off and you've got these lovely sort of fresh green shoots popping up, looking really neat and tidy mm. uh, before they start getting hit by frosts and everything. <laughs> um, so that's yeah, that's a that's sort of autumn. Uh, propagation time but then yeah coming to sort of um, April uh, it's such a busy month you know you're, you're propagating a lot of those sort of um, uh, legumes and cucurbits and sort of bigger seeds that are really dramatic when they start uh, start to germinate um, you know planting out your tomatoes at that sort of time as well and I love the I love the process of, of tomato husbandry or whatever you call <laughs> it. Like, um, um, yeah probably yeah Anytime that things are germinating, but April, April's really cool as well. Definitely. And I just think as well, especially this year, when we talked about earlier how hard the frosts were this winter and how it was just, it felt like a winter like no other. It really feels like the fact that April's just on the horizon, we're finally going to come out of it and there might be some kind of warm weather yet to come. I mean, the fact it's not raining today feels like a massive difference. Well, uh, yeah, f fingers crossed for we're having the worst with this sort of... Um, the, the colder periods, but you know you, you can't really count your chickens um, uh, at, at this point. Um, I think the last couple of years we've had quite um, cold, dry sort of Aprils and Mays, mm -hmm. which have led to sort of things um, being a little bit weak as the summer's summer's started. I'm hoping this year we better. Looking at the long term forecasts, you know, from mid April they reckon it's going to start being sort of average or, or, or slightly above average. I mean. What I tell myself and, and, and my guys all the time, really, just I mean, maybe just to stop myself from kind of demotivated. But um, you know, we're as kitchen gardeners, we're gamblers. You know, we we gamble on a perfect year, mm -hmm. and then we react to whatever actually happens. Yeah. So you know, we we gamble to you know start sowing our beetroot at the beginning, at the end of Feb or beginning of March or something. Sort of yeah, sort of shave a month off whatever the seed packets tell you. And then, you know what, if it doesn't work, so I'm again a month later. Um, you know, it's just how you've got to be constantly reactive. But it's, it's, it's the joy, the problem-solving element is, 
is, is, is the real the thrill of kitchen gardening for me. Absolutely, and I think it's as well where kind of it's the most exciting. It does, you could be the most experienced gardener, but you don't know that you putting a seed in the ground is going to make it grow and be a successful plant because there's so many other factors that kind of put into that plant being a success, whether it's a hard frost that lasts in 10 days or it being the driest summer of your yeah. life when you're preparing for a show and everything's being grown in pots. There's kind of the factors that you can't mitigate, but then there's so much learnings to be had from each time that something doesn't quite work out. But sometimes it's that you don't know until you try. I remember when I sowed carrots really late a couple of years ago, everyone was being like, oh, far too late to be sowing carrots, you're never going to get a good crop, shouldn't be doing that, it's a waste of seeds, blah, 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 kicking off. And actually they were some of the best carrots I'd had in a long time, and I was like, well, I never would have known that they worked out in this particular bed, in this particular soil. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always worth trying, and um, I said it isn't a waste of seed, because those the, the Apiaceae family, the carrot family, the, the seeds are one of the worst for just, you know, not lasting very long in their sort of viability. Yeah. So for all you knew, by the next spring they could have all been useless anyway, so at least you'd had a go with them and actually got good results out of them. Yeah, we had some for Christmas and it was the first time we'd had like Christmas veg and it was really exciting and it's those I think with gardening you just take joy in such little things. Like I sowed my first tomato seeds the other day and it was one of those like quiet fifteen minutes of just pure joy of yeah. like being excited about what's to come with the different tomato varieties and there's just so much to learn all the time like I'm sure you feel the same you never stop learning it's a constant kind of you want to absorb as much information as you possibly can once you scratch the surface of the varieties uh, it's that yeah it's just fascinating and you know again you know reading uh, sort of James Wong and um, uh, Mark Diacono there you know where um, especially actually James Wong is sort of growth of flavour mm-hmm. um, really teaches the subtleties of you know why you want an earthy beetroot compared to a sweet beetroot, for instance. So, um, yeah, how you can manipulate the plant. Um, perfect. So, final question, the hardest question of them all. If you could only pick one thing that was your favourite vegetable to grow forevermore, what would mm, it be? That's a, that is a tricky one. Most um, people say, well, it would be different at different times of year because it depends what's what's in season. Then you get really excited about it, and then it gets the next, and you're like, no, 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 I love this one the most. I was sort of thinking, what, well, yeah, what can you get the the most crops out of one plant? Mm. Uh, for it's a sort of angle I'm thinking there. Um, I mean, it's not really a vegetable, but nasturtiums, you know, have so many purposes. You know, even as a um, even as a cropping plant, there's there's four different crops off one plant. You've got you know the the buds that can be used as um, uh, sort of capers if you pickle them. The flowers are obviously edible. The large leaves can be um, mashed up as pesto, and the small leaves can be used as um, as a lovely garnish leaf. And, yeah, I'd probably go for a variety called blue pepe because I think they're really cool. Uh, they've got sort of very dark green leaves with sort of um, purple rims around around the edges of them. So they look, they look really cool. They're my favourites. I grew them for the show last year. Really cool. They were just they? awesome. Um, but in terms of an actual vegetable, oh, I do love Kevlar Nero, but it's a little bit boring. But, um, it doesn't matter, we're not yeah, going to judge you for the choice. Probably Cavalier Nero, and then um, when, you know, I'd, I'd sow them, them in the summer, uh, or, or the late spring, mm-hmm. um, I'd, I'd harvest the leaves all year, 
and then when they start to bolt, kind of February sort of time, I'd snip the tops out, remove the apical dominance, and I'd um, I'd harvest those broccoli shoots I mentioned earlier, because you know, especially once they've had a few frosts on them and the stone is sweet and that's a bit, they're just unbeatable. They're great. That's going to be my thing that I must grow this year. And the that flowers are edible real. as well. For sure. Well, anything that's an edible flower and looks beautiful is yeah. right up my street. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for taking the time today to show me around and do the podcast. It's been absolutely fantastic. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been really good fun. Thank you. Thank you. You made it to the end of the episode, which means you must have enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd be ever so grateful if you could head to your favourite podcasting app to give us a follow and leave us a little review, which helps to get these stories out to more amazing planty people. If you've got any questions or stories you'd like to share, find me over at Diary of a Lady Gardener on Instagram. And don't forget to head to Akai for some fabulous new outdoor wear using the code DOALG20 for 20% off your order. That's all from me this week. Happy growing! <music>